welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and it's Monday, June 28th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, enjoying a good start to the week. Coming up today, a lot to get to. NBA action from over the weekend. We are in the conference finals. Four teams remaining. Great basketball this past weekend, as well as some big news this week of things being enacted, new new policies in the NCAA with regards to NIL. So we're going to finish with that, but we're going to start off with the game last night, or really the series last night, Bucks-Hawks. The Bucks with a big, big Game 3 win last night in Atlanta. The Bucks were able to uh, come alive in the fourth quarter offensively and take a 113-102 victory. This game was just awesome. If you're a if you're a member of the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, they were able to battle all game. Atlanta got off to a big lead, jumped out to a, a with a great start at the in the first quarter. I think it was like 25-10, 25-12-ish. Uh, and the Bucks this whole postseason kind of just their their theme has been resilience. The way that they have been able to battle all the outside noise, all the outside talk about their team. The guys on the roster, how they may need to break it up. The coaching staff, how Coach Bud can't coach. All this stuff. The the resilience that this team has shown from, from game to game, from series to series, has been really, really impressive to see, especially after they they lose game one. And again, they probably should have won and they had a great chance to win it at the end. The way they were able to battle back in game two with a dominating second quarter performance that I'll touch on in, in a second and then Chris Middleton and Holiday again, but we're struggling from the field shooting wise. First half, Holiday continued to struggle the whole game. He finished two for eleven, but the resilience by Holiday to keep playing defense on Trey Young to keep you know battling whole game, keep moving the ball well. He ended up he ended up with twelve assists. Chris Middleton, you know, he he sort of shot himself out of a slump there. And he came alive. He he just went inferno in the fourth quarter, hitting shot after shot, three after three, dominating the fourth quarter. I think he scored 20 points in, in the fourth quarter to end with 38 points. But what was most impressive to me was he ended with 11 rebounds and seven assists. And it's he just kept playing his he kept playing his game, kept battling. And, you know, some people are gonna say, oh, because that this proves that this somehow isn't Giannis's team or that Middleton is the go-to guy and Giannis isn't as good as we all say he is. No, no, no. Giannis had the most casual and forgotten 33 points and 11 rebounds and four assists performance maybe in the history of the NBA. I mean, Giannis was awesome. Giannis, his dribble drive where he's at the top of the key drive, spins into a layup or dunk, is unguardable and has really forced the Atlanta defense to adjust and really sink in more on that to help get some more open looks for for other guys. Giannis great on the glass again. You know he he it's just we're just so accustomed to him getting ten plus rebounds a game that I think we we uh, forget how difficult that is sometimes to get ten plus rebounds in an NBA game. He was spectacular again. Middleton took took him home. When he was on fire, but Giannis has been great. Giannis was great in Game Three and, and great in the whole series. 
for Milwaukee especially, what I was really pumped to see was that Bobby Portis continuing to play hard and play well in the series. He came out with a lot of energy game one, thought he played pretty well offensively. There's some challenges defensively with him naturally if he gets switched on to Trey Young because not many guys in the NBA can guard Trey Young one-on-one on the perimeter. Nothing against Bobby Portis' defense, just Trey Young's really, really hard to guard. And it was a similar thing with Brooke Lopez. And in Game 2, both of them were awesome. Portis especially with a huge impact with his energy on the offensive boards. And Lopez, so the way that the Bucks play defense, they, they play this drop, pick, and roll because they like to have Lopez back towards the basket, force the ball handler to drive in and make little tough mid-range floater shots with the guy closing out in front of him in Lopez and a guy run, trailing behind contesting from the side or from behind. It is one of the Bucks' preferred pick-and-roll strategies. It has worked for them all season long. It's a great way to use Brooke Lopez and keep him near the basket where he is ginormous and is a phenomenal rim protector, shot blocker, and shot challenger and changes a lot of shots near the rim. He was, you know, there. Trey Young made a lot of floaters in, in game one. He was probably a little too low in the drop, so he moved up a little more in game two. And they had a huge, massive success, a 40-plus point quarter, getting all these turnovers. They went on a 20-0 run. Spectacular. Well, Lopez, even though his plus-minus in Game 3 was minus 17, I don't think he was that bad. A lot of that was, you know, at the beginning of, of the game. He was he was on the court when Atlanta jumped off to that, to that big lead. Young came out on fire, and he was off the court when Milwaukee went on the big run at the at the end, but Lopez adds a dimension to this team in that he can really protect the rim, which, which Trey Young's not that big. And yes, he's awesome at floaters, but he's also really good at layups and getting all the way to the rim. So still trying to still forcing him to take just a slightly tougher shot over length is over the course of a seven game series is probably a good strategy to have if if you're Milwaukee and Lopez can stretch out Clint Capella or John Collins and get them away from the basket. So that Giannis, Middleton, Holiday all have driving lanes uh, and abilities to offensive rebound as well because he has great size and Porus has great size as well and Porus can, can knock down the three. So looking forward to, to game four if you're in Milwaukee, you got to do what, what Giannis said after the game, which is that don't look ahead to the finals, the rest of the series. All the attention, all the energy has to be on game four because Atlanta has been here before. Atlanta has been down 2-1, literally the the – the round before against Philly and just have to keep battling. Now, if you're Atlanta, there are some positive takeaways from this game. Not many, but there are a couple positives. One is that John Collins has proven that he can really, really play at this level, that, that he is, he, that, that he is, a fantastic player, and he battles. That guy battles. He rebounds. He plays hard. He's not afraid to do the dirty work at all. He's a, you know, I really enjoy watching John Collins play. Trey Young was very, very effective, 35 points. Now, the big negative is he seemed, seemed, seemed like he rolled his ankle or had some type of ankle injury late in the game, only three points in the fourth quarter. I hope he's okay and that he can be as close to full strength as possible because he just makes for such a better series because Trey Young is is really good. But you look at what what happened in in this game is that you were right there. You were you were up in the game until 
Chris Middleton made literally like four threes in a row and Connaughton had a layup. You were right there. This is a game where you could say, okay, well, a little better defense, a little bit tougher. We we make a shot there, and and we're right there. This, you know, a lot of praise on Milwaukee. I just praise Milwaukee a lot, but this game wasn't an eleven point victory by Milwaukee with how the flow of the game went. Obviously, the last five minutes, Milwaukee was able to extend, but Atlanta has to feel confident about hey, we can really, really hang with these guys. Game two was an aberration. We played awful for a stretch where Milwaukee was awesome and went up by thirty points, but we can go back and forth with with these guys and we're going to go on a run one of these times at the end of the game and and we're we have a great chance to to win and and take the lead and you have Clint Capella who is rebounding well he had six offensive rebounds in in game 3 they're forcing sometimes Milwaukee to go small and they can stay big because they can put Capella on Giannis and have a lot of offensive rebounding opportunities so i would look to see if if Atlanta can crash the boards a little bit more with their big guys, but send an extra guard back because especially when Trey Young takes some of those long, long three-pointers, Holiday has done a tremendous job of leaking out ahead, contesting and kind of leaking out where if Wonk gets the rebound, they can kick up to him for a layup or a dunk. A little bit better transition defense by Atlanta could be the difference in game four between Holiday getting an extra four points or Connaughton getting an, an extra layup there. These two teams are <clears throat> these two teams are so close that that could be the that could be the difference in really win and and a loss in game four. So I'm really excited for for that game four tomorrow night Tuesday on TNT. Other series: Suns Clippers. This series has been, <laughs> let's just say, full of obstacles. Both teams came into the series. Uh, not at full strength. Chris Paul was in the COVID protocols. He missed games one and two. Kawhi Leonard still out indefinitely with a knee injury. He's day-to-day completely unclear the severity of, of his injury. If he has a chance to come back this late, later in this series, if he has a chance to, or if he's out for this, if he's out with a very, very serious, you know, tear of something in, in his knee. Then once the series started, Devin Booker breaks his nose on seemingly an, an accidental play in Game Two that just looked painful for both guys. Pat Beverly and, and uh, Booker uh, banged heads; just looked super painful. Now Booker broken nose, wearing the mask, which is adds an, an an extra challenge with you know breathing and shooting and and all that stuff. Both teams have faced massive, massive obstacles, but the Suns are up three games to one. The Suns were able to take the victory there on Saturday night in a game reminiscent of 1984 or 92 or just a completely just slugfest. The final score was 84 to 80. 84 to 80 in 2021. It was a brutal game offensively for both teams. The Suns shot 36% as a team. The Clippers shot 33% as a team. Clippers missed a bunch of free throws at the end. You know, you feel bad for Paul George because up to that point, you know, his 16 rebounds, he was scoring just enough for a game where people were really struggling. Yes, he missed a bunch of threes, but those those missed free throws 
are really, really catching up in, in this series. And um, it's brutal. It's it's absolutely brutal. But if, if you're the Clippers and you're facing a 3-1 deficit, one, you have a coach who has come back from 3-1 in a much, much more challenging circumstance than this with Ty Lue and coming back with the Cavs team against the 73-win Warriors. Obviously, you don't have LeBron, but you also aren't playing the 73-win Warriors. They can come back in this series. One, the Clippers and this Clippers team does better when their backs are against the wall. Well, their backs are now firmly against the wall, facing elimination. They have won every series. They won the they won the first round facing elimination against Dallas, and last round against Utah, it was two two, no Kawhi. That was essentially like an elimination game. They win that game and can go up three two. This is this is just you know. This is a massive moment for the Los Angeles Clippers. They have guys who can step up because they have guys who can shoot and make threes. Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Kennard. Man, they have guys who can shoot and make threes. Still don't really get why Rondo's not playing that much and getting a, you know DNPs. I think he could be... A help, but obviously Coach Lou and, and the staff know a lot more than than I do about this particular matchup. The really interesting part about this series has been now that we're four games in, and now we're really seeing okay, this is this is the lineup versus versus their best lineup, and and the adjustments is DeAndre Ayton is forcing the Clippers to play big. DeAndre Ayton is forcing Zubac to play thirty nine minutes, uh, which coming off the Utah series and the end of the Dallas series, Zubach was basically either in the back of the rotation or not in the rotation. Really interesting because you think coming into the playoffs, okay, Porzingis, better reputation than Dallas, and Dallas adjusts and goes big with Bobont. L.A. State small. Gobert, defensive player of, of the year. He's 7-3. L.A. plays and stays small. But DeAndre Ayton has forced L.A. to go big. Not saying that it's been bad. Zubac, I think, has played really well, and I like watching him play. He battles on the glass. He had seven offensive rebounds in Game 4. Good skilled finishes. You know, he pretty good free throw shooter as as well. But DeAndre Ayton, this entire postseason, has been a breakout uh, breakout star. He had 19 points, 22 rebounds in, in Game 4. The ability for him, game after game after game, to seemingly just play within himself, to play within the system, and just to and just to play his role as people are calling him a star, and people are saying he was, they were correct to take him over Luca and and Trey Young and Jaron Jackson and and all those guys from from that draft that that he's firmly a max contract player now that he is the you know you know a foundational building block that he's the best young big guy since whoever to be able to do that and stay within yourself and the role and the team and to not trying to start expanding your game that to me has been incredibly impressive because he just keeps doing his thing he keeps playing his role and the Suns keep winning which is which is the most important thing so that game is that game five is tonight ESPN I think that the Clippers will win tonight. I'm not that confident in it just with the way that the Suns are playing, but we will see the big thing tonight is Chris Paul obviously coming off the 10-plus day COVID protocol absence. 
how conditioned is he? How is he feeling? Is he back from battling uh, the virus? Because some guys, it has taken them a really long time to come back. Other guys, it's it's been, you know, when they get their legs under them. Really depends person to person how they react to to the virus and, and the aftermath of it. But Chris Ball, clearly the last two games, has played a ton of minutes and has struggled shooting. The other thing to look out for is both of these teams are deep. They both play seven to eight guys. So which guy on, on this team has a huge, huge moment? Is it Bridges on Phoenix making six threes or Cam Johnson going five for eight from three instead of one one for three? Or is it a guy on the Clippers? Like, does Kennard come in and nail three threes? Is it Reggie Jackson's time to shine and have another 35-point game? You know, those that feels like to me what's going to be the deciding factor of does does someone have an X-factor step-up moment, step-up opportunity that will decide this game. So so I'm picking I'm picking the Clippers in this game, but I could really see it going either way. But really excited for it. That's I believe nine o'clock Eastern time, ESPN. Other big news this week. July 1st, shockingly, is is later this week, and that is the start date for numerous states and their NIL legislation uh, when college athletes will now be able to be paid sponsorship money for their name, image, and likeness, such as uh, Instagram ads, other types of sponsorships, whether it's you know, the, the local car dealership is talked about a lot, but... I've I've talked before about what what this could do for all of college sports, especially not 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 just the the, the football, men's football and and basketball, but just what it can do for athletes across the board in all of college sports. It is really interesting to see how this is played out because the NCAA has wanted to work with Congress to get a formal legislation to to govern this that they didn't want anything temporary. Well, they waited for the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled against them. Congress is being Congress, which means that it's taking a lot longer than people anticipate because it's Congress and it's bureaucracy. So now they, the NCAA is uh, announcing temporary NIL legislation and approval from, from them, which is exactly what they were trying to avoid this entire fight. Uh, for NIL since it was initially first passed, I believe in you know in the last year or two, by cert- by certain states, this is this is great for athletes, but it is a little ironic that the exact thing that the NCA was trying to avoid for years, for years, the week that it is now finally going to go, and they're like, okay, well we'll have a temporary policy. It is. It is just extremely frustrating just to just just to see that. The way that the NSA is is handling this stuff because it's it's something that could be great for a lot of athletes and and change student athletes' lives and and give them a lot of chances to 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 earn money, uh, while they're in college while using their platform that they may not have an opportunity like that the rest of their lives to to earn this type of money. That I'm I'm happy the NCA is creating these these temporary measures, but I've been disappointed that it hasn't been more on board with with the process, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to adjust because these rules are coming out and, and we'll see. I'm excited to see what happens first. Uh, athletes in, in certain States, you know, um, that 
that are having it. I'm excited to see what what the first ads look like, what what the first uh, results are of of this NIL. It's been a big recruiting push now, as if if one state has it. So, you know, Florida has signed it. Florida and Florida State can now say to their recruits uh, in every sport, we can help you with with NIL. And another school that they they can't because their state hasn't approved it and, and they don't have those resources, which is sorry, like you're not going to be able to make money while you're here. But it was like, wait, but if I go to this school, I can. Well, yeah, it's as as always, we're, we're seeing it's now turning into a recruiting battle and a recruiting advantage. So now some coaches who weren't in favor of it in, in, in the biggest sports now now are are going to have to at least tolerate it because uh, because it's going to be such a big part of college sports for the foreseeable future. So excited about that. That is coming later this week. So so keep an eye out on The Athletic and Twitter and uh, ESPN, all the sites with the with the real journalists, the, the great journalists who are following this and, and writing about it. They all do great work. So follow them and, and read what they're writing this week because they're going to be covering all, all things NIL legislation and what it really means for athletes. So that'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back hopefully tomorrow. Take care and make it a great day.